0: At Calvary There my Savior died He took my place And by His grace Came with me to abide All I need for living Is mine by just believing Life begins at Calvary Life that never
1: ends Festus came in And took Felix's place Went up to Jerusalem While he's in Jerusalem The Jews asked him About this man Paul bring him up to Jerusalem and there be judged. And when Felix was come, the Jews which came down from Jerusalem stood round about and laid many and grievous complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. While he answered for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, neither against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I offended anything at all when Festus brought him before King Agrippa and Bernice and Caesarea, and he said, I brought these fellows up against Paul. I sat on the judgment seat, and these people had no accusations of such things as I suppose, but they had certain questions against him of their own superstition and of one Jesus, which was dead, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. King Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. Paul stretched forth his hand, and answered for himself, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before you, touching all the things whereof I am accused of the Jews, especially because I know you to be an expert in all the customs and questions which are among the Jews. Wherefore, I beseech you to hear me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, which was at the first among mine own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews, And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers, unto which promise our twelve tribes, instantly serving God day and night, hope to come. For which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews? Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you, that God should raise the dead? Welcome to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study.
0: Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, And our conviction is that the Word of God has never changed and never will. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now in this chapter 25 of Acts, we cover the entire chapter. Dr. Mitchell notes the issue once again is Paul's defense of the resurrection, even though the same three accusations are still being brought against the Apostle. The Gentile Roman authorities here, they're, they're at a total standstill as to what should be done, since the issue, as far as they were concerned, amounted to nothing more than Paul saying that a certain dead man, Jesus, was still actually alive. Paul gives us insight in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8, that the rulers of this world did not know the wisdom of God, and some still don't, for if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They did not know God's wisdom then, to the person and work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. is even some now don't. So they did crucify him. And they don't know how to handle this situation either. Well, let's turn to Acts chapter 25, verse 1 with Dr. Mitchell. You're listening to The Unchanging Word, Bible Broadcast.
1: Let me bring you up to date on our on our studies. We have in chapters 20, uh, 24, 25, and 26... But the apostle Paul is before three Roman governors, or should I make it more explicit, two Roman governors and one who was a king. And in chapter 24, we had his defense before Felix. And you remember, the opposition was against Paul, and they used flattery and lies. They accused him of sedition, that he was opposed to Rome. They accused him of heresy, they claimed he was against Moses and they accused him of sacrilege, that he had defiled the temple. And in Paul's defense, he, he answered all the three charges. In fact, he hadn't been there long enough to start an insurrection. He was not pitching against Moses. He was there quietly in the temple, and then he didn't defile. He didn't bring anybody in again, any Gentile into the temple. But he did, in his defense, you remember, spoke of his belief, of how he worshiped God, how he believed the Scriptures, that he was neither against Moses nor the temple. In fact, if they had believed the word of God which they claimed, they would have had the same faith he had, and he had hope of the resurrection. And may I remind you again, Paul made no apologies for his faith. Wonderful thing in this matter. He made no apologies, and we ought not to make any apologies for our faith either. And then you have the his defence, he used his own character. He had; he was void of void of offence before God. He had a clear conscience before God. He was without offence toward man. Now, what more could he be or do? And then you go down from from verse twenty-four to the end of the chapter, and you have where where Paul gives his defence before Felix, and you remember. He strikes at the very conscience of this. This wayward man, this man Felix, who was who revelled in cruelty and lust, he wielded the power of a king, with the mind of a slave. I'm quoting Tacitus, the Roman historian, on that. And three things that he went after uh, Felix on: first of all, he reasoned of righteousness to an unrighteous man. He reasoned of self-control. To an uncontrolled man, man uncontrolled in his passions. And he spoke of judgment to come to a very sinful man who must stand before God. I'm not surprised at the fact that he was convicted, but may I say no acceptance. Remember again, the time to accept the Savior is now. There's no such thing as a convenient time. A convenient time never comes. This man postponed his own salvation, and he postponed setting Paul free. He was a politician. He wanted to please the Jews. He didn't want to give up his sin, and he wanted Paul to give him money so he could set him free. He was a rascal, in other words, and his heart was not open to the Word of God. Now, when we come to chapter 25, we have Paul before Festus. Now, there's not much I'm going to say about Festus. Festus came in and took Felix's place, went up to Jerusalem. While he's in Jerusalem, the Jews asked him about this man, Paul, to bring him up to Jerusalem and and, uh, there be judged. And, of course, they had these men lying in wait to kill him. And Festus didn't do that. He said, well, I'm going back to Caesarea in a few days. You come on down there and you accuse him. So they did that. So when you come on to verse 7 of chapter 25, now read, And when Felix was come, the Jews which came down from Jerusalem stood round about and laid many and grievous complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. While he answered for himself, Neither against the law of the Jews, neither against the temple, nor against Caesar have I offended anything at all. Here again you have the same three Accusations that they gave that they um, gave against Paul when he was before Felix. This question this question of, of sedition, question of heresy, question of sacrilege. I haven't done anything at all. I've offended in none of these three. Verse nine but Festus willing to do the Jews a pleasure, answered Paul and said, Will you go up to Jerusalem and there be judged of these things before me? Then said Paul, I stand at Caesar's judgment throne, where I ought to be judged. To the Jews have I done no wrong, as thou very well knowest. But if I be an offender, if I have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. But if there be none of these things whereof these accuse me, no man can deliver me unto them. I appeal unto Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, Uh, Hast thou appealed unto Caesar? Unto Caesar thou shalt go. Now, if if Paul spoke to Felix and stirred his conscience, and this man Felix was greatly disturbed about it, this man Festus was just the opposite. Festus was uh, as indifferent to the things of God as could be. And here we have Paul appealing to Caesar What Paul saw was there was no, he would never have any justice, any justice at all. This man, Festus, was totally indifferent to the things of God. You go down to verse 19, verses 18 and 19, when he came before, uh, when Festus brought him before King Agrippa and Bernice, you remember, down in Caesarea, and he said, "I, I brought these fellows up against Paul. I sat on the judgment seat, and these people had no accusations of such things, as I suppose. Verse 19, but they had certain questions against him of their own superstition and of one Jesus, which was dead, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. Now, let me just stop here for, for a moment or two. I want you to mark again the issue is still the resurrection. But I want you to notice that Paul stands upon his Roman citizenship. He knew he would not have a righteous judge, nor would it be fair in their judgment against him, just as you have in chapter 24, likewise in chapter 25. These three things, and again I repeat them, they accused him of sedition against Rome, heresy against Moses, sacrilege against the temple. And this man, Paul, refused to be challenged by any one of it. And this man, Festus, <laughs> real politician, but he's in, he's in a bind. Paul appeals to Caesar. Now Festus is in a box. What's he going to do? He can't send him to Caesar, to Rome, if there's no accusation. He'd be in a very bad predicament. So when, uh, after a few days, King Agrippa and Bernice came along, and they saluted Festus, and he said to King Agrippa, you know, I've got a certain man here in bonds, left by Felix. He's been here about three years. And uh, I asked him to bring their accusations against him, something about their law. The only thing they differed on really was Paul believed in one Jesus uh, who was dead. Now notice what he says, who was dead. But Paul declared he was alive and I haven't a thing to bring before Caesar. I can't send this man to Caesar and say, this man believes in a Jew who was crucified uh, by Pontius Pilate, and Paul affirms he's raised from the dead, and that he's the one who can save men from sin. Well, folly! what would Caesar do to me? So Agrippa said, all right, I'll hear him tomorrow. You remember that? So starting in at verse 23 of chapter 25, and running through chapter 26, You have Paul before King Agrippa. By the way, do you ever stop to think of it? Paul stood before the the Jewish people, defended himself, then against the Sanhedrin, defended himself, then against Felix, then against Festus, now against the king, King Agrippa. In In verse 24, And Felix said, King Agrippa, and all men which are here present with us, you see this man, about whom all the multitude of the Jews have dealt with me, both at Jerusalem and also here, crying that this man ought not to live any longer. That's how, that's how they raged against this man. They're determined this man should be killed. But when I examined him, I found nothing worthy of death, and that he himself had appealed to Caesar, and I have determined to send him. But I have no certain thing to write to my Lord, Wherefore, I have brought him forth before you, especially before you, O King Agrippa, that after examination had, I might have somewhat to write. For it seemeth to me an unreasonable thing to send a prisoner to Rome and not have any crimes against him. You see, Festus is in a box. Now, starting in at chapter 26, 26, you have his defense before a king, the King Agrippa. Let me just say one thing before I move on. You'll notice again, and I'm repeating this, the Jews accused him of three things. And Paul said, there's only one thing, and that is concerning the hope of the resurrection. Now, Festus caught hold of that. Questions about their own superstition, about somebody called Jesus, who was dead, and Paul said, he's alive. Now, what am I going to do? I'm starting in verse of chapter 26 you have Paul standing before King Agrippa in the first 23 verses, and he gives his defense, his testimony. In the first five verses, you have what he was before he met the Lord. Now, Paul didn't discuss theology. Let me get this question. When you're dealing with unsafe people, don't discuss theology or doctrine. I'm speaking about the general uh, backbone of doctrine and theology. He's talking about life in Christ that Jesus is a real Savior, he's the only one who can put away sin, and he's the only one who can satisfy your heart. And this one who died and rose again is in full accord with Old Testament Scripture. Remember, you have that in Romans chapter 1, that the gospel is in full accord with Old Testament Scripture. And if the Jews had believed the Bible as much as Paul believed the Bible, they would have had to believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. They would have had to believe and his death, burial, and resurrection. You find this in the Old Testament. Well, you remember in the preceding chapters when Paul went out of Thessalonica, he proved and alleged from the Scriptures that Christ must first suffer and then be raised again from the dead and that this Jesus is the Christ. This is Paul's message all the way through. Now we come to chapter 26. Let me read the first few verses. This is Paul's condition before he met the Lord. King Agrippa said to Paul, You are permitted to speak for yourself. Paul stretched forth his hand and answered for himself. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before you, touching all the things whereof I am accused of the Jews, especially because I know you to be an expert in all the customs and questions you John among the Jews. Wherefore, I beseech you to hear me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, which was at the first among mine own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews, all the Jews know about me. They know all about me. And if they, which knew me from the beginning, if they would only testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. I didn't say any more about that. You remember in the book of Galatians, chapter 1, he was more zealous for Judaism than all his own countrymen. And Paul felt very happy to speak before King Agrippa because Agrippa knew something about Judaism, and they would understand, of course, what Paul was saying. Now, from verses 6 to 12, you've got the ground of the accusation. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers, under which promise our twelve tribes, instantly serving God day and night, hope to come. For which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews? Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you, that God should raise the dead? I verily thought in myself that I, ought, that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints... I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them, and I punished them oft in every synagogue, and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. Whereupon, as I went into Damascus with authority and permission from the chief priest, and so on. Now here you have. Here you have this question. The ground of his accusation, what he was before he met the Savior, what he was after he met the Savior. And you can't meet the risen Son of God, my friend, and ever again be the same. Here's a man who was an extreme religionist. May I refresh your memory? In the book of Philippians, chapter 3, about verses uh, 4 to 6 to 8 in there, where Paul says, I was circumcised the eighth day of the tribe of is- of the tribe of Benjamin, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews, touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, I was blameless. He could say to the high priest, I have lived in good conscience before me- before God until this day. In chapter nine, you remember, he was full of murders and threatenings to put men, women, and children. In jail, he was the one who stood by the the ones who stoned Stephen to death. He cast his ballot that Stephen should be that Stephen should be killed. What's made the transformation from a persecutor to a missionary, from one who was filled with hate, rage against the Christians, now is one of the leading Christians, my friend? He met the Savior, and as he says to this man. Agrippa, this King Agrippa, for which things, for which hope? Say, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. What hope? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the issue. It was the issue in chapter 24. It's the issue in chapter 25. It's the issue in chapter 26. It's always the issue. If Christ be not raised from the dead, we are yet in our sins. May, May I just say again, and please, will you take it kindly? You see, I receive so many letters and calls from people who have no assurance. And the reason they have no assurance of their salvation is because they've never seen the completeness of Christ's work on the cross. Christ, be not raised from the dead. My friend, you don't have a thing. If Christ is raised from the dead and exalted to God's right of hand to be a prince and a savior, then we have a salvation that's perfect, a salvation that's complete, a salvation that's eternal. God doesn't deal with part things. God doesn't say if you do do ninety-eight percent, if I do ninety-eight percent, will you do two percent? If God left two percent for you and me to do, either to be saved or to keep our salvation, not one of us would be saved. Not one of us could stand in his presence. No, my friend. God has absolutely no confidence in anybody's flesh, neither yours nor mine. God has no hope of the old creation. When a man or a woman comes and accepts the Savior, God doesn't patch them up. God makes them entirely new. In Him is life. When you and I come into relationship by simple faith through Jesus Christ, into relationship with the living God, my friend, we become the children of God. We have a new life. We have new motives. We have a new destination. We're guaranteed a salvation that's perfect. Just as Paul could say to the Thessalonian church, now the God of peace, sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole being, spirit, soul, body, be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, listen, if I'm talking to some believer today and you're having trouble, you're worried about your salvation, as far as you know, you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. My friend, listen, he took you in, he saved you, and he's going to complete the job he started. As Paul could say to the Philippian church, 1, 6. You remember it? Being confident, confident of this very thing. He which hath begun a good work in you shall perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. And when God puts his hand on a sinner and saves them, God is not going to be satisfied until that sinner stands in his presence conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. You see, the resurrection is the basic issue, always has been down through the centuries. And we proclaim to the world not a dead Christ, but a living Christ, That's what Peter means in 1 Peter 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again to a living hope. A living hope. By what? By the resurrection from the dead. Verse 21, the same chapter. Who by him do believe in God, who raised him from the dead, that your faith and your hope might be in God. As our Lord could say in John 14.19, Because I live, you shall live also. And I just plead with your heart, my friend. When Paul says, Think you it's an incredible thing that God should raise the dead? I should say not. I should say not. God can do anything. And when he raised his son from the dead, it was for the purpose of giving you the assurance that his work on the cross perfectly satisfied God. Oh, listen, friend. When you and I accepted the Savior, we received a real Savior, an eternal Savior, a complete Savior. Now you revel in Him today and enjoy Him. And He's just waiting with arms outstretched just to to bring you into real intimate fellowship with Himself. Now the Lord bless you today for His name's sake. Help me.
0: Take as from a father's hand one.